Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that we happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully that can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com, and it's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is Wednesday, October the 26th, and we're going to be doing a rewind on the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and we're (laughs) well over a month since uh, that particular event occurred um, but you know, I wanted some time to kind of marinate on it. And then I've had, you know, work travels and a host of other things that have kind of gotten in the way since then. So I haven't had a chance to, to sit back, but about a year ago, I did a review on last year's, uh, event. And then I wanted to follow back up on it again this year and see, are there some places where, um, the things that I noted had been addressed. Uh, obviously I don't expect that anyone from the event has actually listened to or watched any of this, um, content, but you know, it's always interesting kind of gauge year on year performance. And one of the, uh, caveats to all of this is that, um, both last year and this year, um, I purchased my own tickets to this event. I, I attended of my own volition as a fan of whiskey, bourbon, Kentucky, all things, um, Kentucky bourbon festival. Uh, I wanted to have some degree of impartiality. You know, this is my money. I have skin in the game. And so, um, this is how I react. Now, I was able to, luckily able to par- uh, partner with uh, the folks over at Bourbon Lens, and they were able to um, get me into a couple of events while we were there, um, different special events. And, um, you know, those were those were fun. They're similar to things that I did last year, but kind of um, things we have on the radar, radar for the podcast coming up. Um, this week, I guess, is going to be what we're considering... Um, Festival weekend? Festival week? I don't know. Um, On Friday, we're hoping to have, I am going to have, um, some folks from Bourbon on the Banks hopping on and joining us, um, talking about their event, what they have going on, um, what they had going on this year, and then kind of kicking it off so whenever they roll around next year, we can talk to them all over again. Um, Kind of see what it's about. I noticed that September and October seem to be Whiskey, whiskey festival months uh, in this area. You have Bourbon on the Banks. You have Kentucky Bourbon Festival. You have Bourbon and Beyond. I think I just saw the um, St. Louis Whiskey Festival. Whiskey Fest in Chicago was around the same time. There be, it seems to be a ton of things, and um, those are fantastic opportunities to get to know new brands, um, craft distilleries, a whole host of things. And so I want to give an opportunity for all of those things to be a part of um, the discussion that we have here. And then after that, uh, the intent is to fall back to some of our more traditional um, episodes that we've had in the past. Um, been doing a lot of interviews here recently, and I love the ability to go do interviews, um, to be able to, to have folks join me and talk about things, and we still have a few of those coming up. Um, but I wanted to bring a little bit more content back in in the ways that we used to, or the way that I used to, um, so that way I have something kind to kind of drive forward on uh, based off of how 
we um, have done things in the past. So it looks like maybe the YouTube stream is not doing so well. The, the health of it is pretty low, so we may have to re-upload this. It's okay. It's, it's not the end of the world. Um, click a few things here. It is what it is. We'll, re we'll re-upload this if we need to. Um, like I said, this stream seems pretty terrible. Um, if you happen to hop on and it looks awful, I apologize. We'll, we'll get a, a, an upload of what we're talking about um, posted up whenever we're done. So um, we'll start off with a, a few things that I had addressed last year for the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the event, it's in the middle of September. It's in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, it's a ticketed event now where historically it was not a ticketed event. It was more of a community-based event. Um, they made that change last year. They had intended to make it, obviously, uh, I believe the year before, um, but those that did not occur. Uh, obviously, we were in the middle of a pandemic. A uh, host of things kind of got in the way of their ability to be able to do those things, so um, they kind of pushed that back. And so last year, it was somewhat more limited attendance, um, and there was significant um, pushback from the local community because they felt like it was a community event that had been taken away from them. They, they, they put it in the position of, you know, only, uh, rich people were able to attend or outsiders. And that was one of the things that I addressed. I said, you know, that that's something that I think maybe they need to pay attention to, try to find a way to kind of soothe things over with, the locals, because, um, you know, you want a good hospitality environment. You want to have, you know, fun. You want to feel like you're not intruding in people's space, but you also want to kind of take the event forward. And largely, I don't know that that necessarily was addressed, but I also noticed that there wasn't as significant of a pushback from locals as there was the year before. And last year in 2021, the city of Bardstown also did their own um, tourism type festival that was more geared towards locals. That didn't seem to occur um, this year either. Um, the whole thing was uh, a little bit more, I don't want to say low-key, because it wasn't low-key. It was, it was definitely a fantastic event, but it, what, it didn't seem to carry some of the burden that the prior year's event did based off of um, uh, local folks. And, you know, from everything from here on, there's a few things that we'll kind of double back on that I think are new places for improvement. Um but everything from here on is going to be places where I think things got uh, significantly better based off of what I was able to see while I was there. Now, one of the other things that I'll call out is that the the last year I bought a multi-day pass um, and it was just a standard offering. I didn't, you know, kind of jump in for what's considered the VIP experience, whereas this year I absolutely did um, kick in for the VIP experience. I wanted to see what that was about, kind of have that experience and see what it was like. Um, but you know, the, the first change that I think was, was really, really fantastic, um, was apparent upon arrival. Um, before we got there, we received our packages in the mail and inside the packages were the wristbands for it. And last year they had plastic wristbands that had the little pull tabs on it. This year they had, um, wristbands that were made out of a type of fabric that had a closure on it that once you kind of zipped it onto your wrist, you couldn't take it off for a couple of days. But within that, um, it appears there was some type of an RFID uh, interface that allowed you to scan in and scan out of the event whenever you um, came in, uh, which is interesting. They were interested in capturing both the ins and the outs whenever you went. 
Um, curious as to you know what they're going to do with those mes- metrics. Uh, somebody else asked me about uh, you know why were they doing that, and I said you know if, if if it were me, if I were running the event, I would want the in and the out so I could kind of get an idea. Um, overall, uh, you know, standard attendees versus VIPs. Did they stay in the event longer? You know, they came in, they came out. And whenever you went into the VIP uh, area, you had a secondary scan. Um, and so you kind of see how things behave. But one of the things I called out was a need for better line management. I think I actually said, um, I don't know where they're getting their ideas from, but they need to go to Disney and figure out how Disney does line management. And uh, realistically, I, I don't know that that's what they did, but that's effectively what they did. The solution that they provided is very similar to um, what major theme parks will use as far as RFID-enabled wristbands. Um, that way, it's pretty straightforward. Once you put that thing on, you go in, you hit it with the wristband, and you walk through. And so that deals with some of the line management problems that you have where you're having people kind of waiting um, to get in. Now, they had some challenges in 21 that they didn't have in 22 where um, they were dealing with needing people to validate that they had a COVID vaccination or negative um, COVID test so they could get into the event, whereas this year that wasn't a concern um, in the same fashion. But um, once you got those wristbands, there was still, you know, kind of this long line where you walk, you know, you kind of wait to get in the gate. And then once you get in the gate, then right behind that becomes the the place where you pick up your, your Glen and your challenge coin. Um, and then you kind of move on from there. And that those were all bottlenecks last year. And one of the things I did call out is that they um, weren't doing anything last year to validate that you had already picked up your Glen or your challenge coin whenever you showed up. Whereas this year, when you walked in, you know, you scanned to get into the event. And then once you got to the table where you got your Glen, uh, Glen Cairn, your mini Glen and your challenge coin, you scanned again. And so I would imagine that if I had to try to do that a second day or a second time during the day, if I tried to, it would have given, uh, given like a, a, a negative challenge, you know, or a, a red light instead of a green light or whatever it happens to be. Um, and then there was still no bag check, which, you know, last year they had, had indicated they were going to be doing bag checks. They didn't want you bringing anything in, any outside food, outside beverages, whatever else. Whereas this year... Uh, it was pretty pretty straightforward. You just kind of walk in with whatever you had on your back, and I was able to bring in a couple of bottles of water to to kind of carry around with me because um, there weren't as many food vendors in 21 as, as what were to be expected, and your access to um, water was somewhat more limited. And so, you know, I kind of went in with a couple of bottles um, in my backpack to begin with. Tonight I'm drinking this Wilderness Trail Rye, which was – a batch that they put together, um, I believe it was Haley and and Bourbon Swami, which I can't remember his name. They they put a blend together that was specifically for the event. I was able to pick that up, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we're going to drink on that first, and then we'll move into the Knob Creek that came as part of the VIP thing. So, um, you know, it was an increased price based off of the tickets from last year to this year. Um, prices went up across the board. Now. That can be a negative in a lot of mindset, but my immediate reaction was um, while the price went up on the ticket, uh, all of the tickets for the most part were multi-day, multi-day tickets um, and your samplings were included in that price this year. Whereas last year you had to pay for $5 per sample or whatever the thing was. I can't remember exactly how it was, but you had to use the, the, the pull tabs, the pull tabs that would fall off that sometimes people didn't take. Um you didn't have to do any of that, you know, and so so the ticket price went up, but what you got from it was effectively unlimited pours 
and you got the ability to also have cocktails. So a lot of the the the, the booths, the um, brands that were there, were serving signature cocktails they had created for the event. And so this kind of opens up the floodgates to people um, like myself. I, I'm you know I'm a whiskey guy, and I, I really enjoy that part of the event. My wife went with me. She's not that way, but there was you know a series of just fantastic cocktails that she had access to um, as a part of the standard um, event ticketing price. And so it was, you know, a really, really nice experience to have those things in there. You know, they had some cocktails last year, but, um, a lot of times they were for additional purchase or, you know, you had to use more, um, more of the pull tabs to make it work where, you know, uh, a single pull tab would work for a pour of whiskey, whereas you had to have two of them for a cocktail or whatever. Um, and so the, you know, the prices went up, like I said, it was multi-day, increased the the poor count, um, a host of things that I think kind of benefited that. Um, beyond that, the the event itself actually shortened at its hours. Last year, I believe it was 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and this year it was 12 to 6 p.m. Um, and realistically, <laughs> 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. may have been an opportunity for them to kind of spread out attendees over a time frame, but the odds of me going and showing up for 12 hours are pretty limited um, because that's a long time to be standing in an event, drinking whiskey, doing all of these things. But um, there's also this other undercurrent of um, Bourbon and Beyond is occurring in the exact same weekend. And some people were trying to attend both events. Um, some people were interested in doing those things or, you know, going out and having dinner, a whole host of things. And so it allowed more time to recover between the the Friday, you know, the Thursday night and the Friday morning or the Friday night and the Saturday morning or the Saturday night and the Sunday morning. Um, but also it kind of, um, allowed the brands to focus on, we've, you know, we've got to make it through this six hour time frame as opposed to trying to figure out, can they staff the booth for 12 hours? Can they make sure that they're going to have enough drinks for 12 hours? Um, it allowed them, I think, to manage their pours and their time a, a little bit better. So while that may seem like a negative for me, I think it was a positive thing. You know, I didn't have to feel like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to leave it. You know, I think we left at five o'clock last year and there's five whole more hours that we could have been there and you know, we could have been participating in events, but we were largely shot by that point. Um, whereas whenever you limit this time down that, you know, we're, we're all kind of spending the same time. You're seeing some of the same people. One of the big changes, big change for me is they allowed bottle sales at the tents. In, in some cases, you could go to uh, a distillery tent and you could actually buy the bottles um, directly from them. You know, there was still the bottle tent where, you know, Justin's House of Bourbon was set up and they were selling some of the specific picks that were made for the event. Um, that line was the most unmanageable thing that occurred the entire weekend. I mean, they were uh, lined out for a significant amount of time trying to get in there and get those bottles. Um, and so those were for the single barrel picks that were occurring as a part of the event. So you're going to expect people are going to want to stand in line for that. And that's perfectly fine. But, you know, I, I didn't stand in line for it. I was able to to get this Knob Creek pick that was a part of the VIP package, um, you know, and, and fantastically enough, it, it came with a couple of signatures on it. And so we've got Freddie No and Fred No both signing the bottle Knob Creek pick for the event. Um, so if you're kind of looking at the VIP experience. We'll dive into that a little bit more later on, but at the tents, we were able to buy some bottles from some different places. That's where I get this wilderness trail pick. Um, and then they doubled the distilleries that were there 
and had a significant increase in the number of attendees that were at the event. But at the same time, they increased the footprint of the event that was on the grounds and kind of rearranged their layouts. And so last year, um, on the heavy portions of attendance, it got a little bit crowded in the craft section, which is where everybody seemed to congregate. And that seemed to be the case again. Um, but this year there was more open space. There was more ability for people to be there. And so even with the increase in, in the distilleries, the increase in the attendees, um, it was really well spread out. I was, I was really impressed with kind of the layout that they set it up. And then even within the, you know, kind of when you come in is where you enter, where all of the main major distilleries will be, or some of the headliners. Um, and then as you kind of, uh, filter towards the, the, the back of the event is where you get into the craft section where a lot of people were spending a lot of time, you know, same as last year. Um, that seemed to be the place to be was in the craft section of the event. Um, and even in those environments, they had, you know, better seating options. And so it feels like holistically they took a lot of, of notes from last year's event. They were able to improve across the board in just about every portion of the experience. And so, you know, now we'll kind of dip into um, the added price of the VIP experience and the VIP experience, but compared to standard ticket prices was significantly more, but some of the things that came into play with the VIP experience are, um, you know, I was able to, I get, uh, a bag, a gift bag. And inside that gift bag, we get an upgraded, um, crystal glass that is labeled for the event and a knob Creek, 120 proof pick, um, that was, you know, signed by two very, very significant master distillers. And then there's access to their VIP tent and the, the, in the VIP tent was, you know, ice down bottled water and there were snacks and there were other cocktails that were being poured in there and other, um, access to some other, uh, pours that you, you might not get out at the, the standard event, um, had a host of different, really interesting things. And so when you take into account, the food situation that occurs, you know, within these events, you know, you bring in food vendors and they charge what they charge. And, um, largely I didn't hear anybody complaining about the cost of it. But, um, if I think about, you know, the VIP experience was purchased for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, I have access to a tent where it's going to have additional seating. It's going to have food for me, um, throughout the course of the day. I'm going to get a bottle. I'm going to get, uh, different glass and maybe I'm even getting this, you know, flask force flask that's, that's, that's been made. Uh, it starts to kind of look like a better deal, you know, and it's a, it's limited access. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> while we were there, my wife actually just scanned into the VIP event, uh, tent area, grabbed herself a chair and was able to just kind of sit down and read a book and pick up a cocktail from every so often and just kind of enjoyed herself through the event, you know, have some snacks some more d'oeuvre type snacks. Um, just all in all, uh, kind of a nice place to be, but there is, you know, kind of a significant upcharge for that. And um, realistically, if I return, it'll likely be something that I would do again. Uh, one of the things that was, you know, nitpicky disappointing for me was, um, there wasn't a, uh, poster for it this year, right? Like, so I was looking for, you know, a poster to kind of commemorate the event. Um, and there was one last year, it wasn't one this year. And like I said, that's, that's about as nitpicky as it gets. Um, 
there were some pretty neat off-premise of, uh, experiences that were occurring at different distilleries, and that kind of led into this, I think, idea of shutting the event down at six is that, you know, Barstown Bourbon Company and um, Jim Beam, if I remember correctly, and a couple of other people were having their different on-site experiences at their distilleries um, through the weekend. So it gave you an opportunity to kind of, you know, check out of the event, maybe go get a shower, kind of refresh yourself, and then go out to these other off-premise events. I think it was the uh, whiteout event, or I'm not exactly sure what they called it. Um, we didn't attend that. Sort of wish we had. It looked like it was going to be kind of a fun event. But there was also um, a significantly increased food presence at the event this year. Last year, there was only one or two uh, food carts. I think my my personal opinion was that, that was more of a representation of the local community being upset about the event. And so some of the local food vendors bowing out and opting to participate in their community-wide event as opposed to participating in this event for outsiders. Um, but it could be a whole host of other things. Could have been COVID, could have been any of those things. But, you know, it, we were quadruple the number of, of food vendors, if not more, that were available um, for for you know, event attendees, you know, because, you know, your access to food is relatively limited unless you walk to a sit down restaurant. There weren't a ton of, you know, places you just kind of walk to and get some fast food, come back into the event. Um, one of the other things that was, I think was a significant upgrade is last year they had several stations that were made for uh, rinsing out your Glencairn and they were, you know, considered non-potable water. And so you would rinse your glass out and, once you rinse your glass out, you're not really supposed to drink the water. Well, they upgraded it to a place where you could actually refill a bottle of water or do whatever else. And so they increased access, which, you know, for a whiskey event um, seems like a no-brainer. But, uh, you know, if you're not thinking about it ahead of time and you're like, oh, we're just going to have some water on hand so they can rinse the glasses out and they'll be responsible for their own water consumption, um, things get a little bit kind of different. And then the bathroom situation, so much better. The way they, you know, kind of arranged their their setups for um, the 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 Porta John setups. You know, it was it was a much better situation. They they kind of find a better place for those to be, not out in the main thoroughfare where people were seeing. And then there was a podcaster corner, which I didn't see last year. Maybe it was there, and I just missed it. But there was actually a corner that was kind of back by the bottle tent um, for the purchases and where some of the special events were having. They allowed several podcasters to set up, and I think some of them were doing on-site recording, and some people were, you know, kind of uh, doing their own experience. And um, I was able to luckily connect up with a few uh, friends from Instagram and different social media platforms and kind of walk around with them and get get an experience from kind of a different um, viewpoint that was there. Um, one of the, let's see what we got here. We're still in a six. We're kind of moving into some of the things that I think still need some degree of improvement. Um, and like I said, we're going to get really, really nitpicky here. Um, within the VIP experience, there was apparently a second gate that you could enter through, uh, and there was not any clear marking, near, no, not any clear indication of where I should go, and I just happened upon it Sunday as I was trying to sneak in and run to a merch tent and pick something up before I headed home. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, I ran up to a gate that I thought was for vendors only. I said, hey, can I just scan in? I need it. They're like, oh, no, this is the VIP gate. It's news to me, you know, we're on Sunday from a Thursday through Sunday event that I just sort of figured that out. Uh, public transportation in Bardstown 
still a nightmare. There's not ready access to buses and or taxi cabs. You know, there's there's a couple of taxi services and maybe a couple of Ubers that were available, but if you're dealing with thousands of people, it gets difficult. And so you need to make sure that you plan to have some sort of a DD situation uh, lined up ahead of time or um, be prepared to wait because it may take a while for you to get wherever you're going to go. Um, one of the things that I know they provided, or at least was advertised that they provided last year, was transportation between Louisville and the event, and that didn't occur this year either. Um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, that doesn't bother me nearly as much because, you know, the, the idea is to be in Bardstown and experience the 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 event through the lens of Bardstown. Um, but one of the drawbacks is the limited number of hotels that are available. Um, as well as the limited amount of public transportation. Realistically, I did not have a hotel room in the city of Bardstown until about five days out. I was able to luck into a room that I guess somebody had canceled because they could no longer attend the event. But basically, as soon as the the dates are published for the event, you have to hop out there and schedule your hotel room like that, or you're going to entirely miss. Hey, Zach, thanks for showing up tonight. Um, you're likely going to have a terrible experience on YouTube because I'm dropping frames. So I'm going to have to republish this in just a video format likely um, once I'm done, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what it looks like whenever it kind of comes through, but I'm just talking through this year's um, Kentucky bourbon festival event for me as it were. And so um, stepping into the next thing, you know, parking in the area is absolutely difficult. Um, you know, there's still paid parking all around. Um, but if you don't get there <laughs> near the time of the opening of the event, um, you're going to want to hold off until probably three o'clock before the first wave of people start leaving the event because, um, the publicly available parking is going to be consumed. They're not built to handle the volume of people that are kind of influxing. And, you know, that'll adjust over time, obviously, but in the same vein that, Hotels are problematic. You know, you have maybe three major branded hotels in the city of Bardstown and everything else becomes locally owned operations. Parking lots, municipal parking lots are really, really limited. On-street parking is really, really limited. Just the infrastructure is not in place to kind of cope with what they're trying to do there. And then one of the other things, and this is, this is a place of recommendation for, for, for me, right, is um, that they're going to continue. It feels like they're going to continue to compete, not necessarily compete, but have their event on the same weekend as Bourbon and Beyond, which is um, closer to Louisville proper, you know, 30 or 45 minutes down the road, which is also a significant draw with a different type of atmosphere. You know, the the Kentucky Bourbon Festival is geared towards whiskey fanatics that enjoy some other things whereas bourbon and beyond is a music festival that if you sort of like whiskey you can still go to but there's going to be some fantastic acts and so the the decreasing the hours of the bourbon festival and allowing that to end at six o'clock kind of opens up this situation where you could potentially do both and so what i would love to see is a couple of things you know number one can you partner with the bourbon and beyond event and offer a paired ticket pricing situation where maybe not all nights, but for uh, one night, you know, if you're a, a VIP at the Kentucky bourbon, bourbon festival, maybe you have access to bourbon and beyond on Thursday night or Friday night or Saturday or Sunday, whatever like you have, you have a shared ticket experience. And then is there a way to provide transportation for, 
people going from the Kentucky Bourbon Festival to Bourbon and Beyond. Now, there's a lot of logistics that kind of go into that, but I think this is an opportunity that the festival itself could kind of lean into, right? And and they're not... It could feel competitive between what they're trying to do and these two different events. It could feel very, very competitive, but this is a place where I think there's some room for collaboration. There's some sharing of customers. There's some... um, synergy there's there's a place like i said there's a place for both of these folks to to work together um and do something i think that is um really interesting and unique in that kind of space you know it's they're both great events they're both unique in, in what they're trying to do and there's no reason to kind of compete for the the same seats so to speak um so that was kind of my experience i you know i left last year thinking that i wasn't entirely sure that i would return um, this year, at least for the full weekend experience, I might return for one day or less. And then whenever the, the ticket pricing and everything kind of got published and I saw the way it was laid out, I was like, you know, I'll give it a shot with the VIP experience and kind of compare and contrast how 21 was compared to 22 in the areas where I would have seen both of the things. And then was that additional upgrade for the VIP experience kind of worth it? my mind and I can't speak of whether it was worth it from 21 to 22 but I can speak in 22 I think that it was a pretty valuable upgrade again it gave you access to a ton more things like you know food and additional seating and it was you know kind of the VIP thing was inside it had its own tent which it advertised it was going to have, um, I believe, a uh, cooling situation, but it was a couple big fans. Maybe that's a place for improvement as well, is that we're, we're if we're going to have a VIP tent, either make it cool or make it where you can roll up the sides and let some air flow through it. Because at one point um, on Friday... Friday or Saturday, I can't remember. Got a little stuffy inside that tent. You have a whole bunch of people in there, kind of all, you know, in a humid environment. It kind of increased the humidity, increased the temperature, and we're stuck inside it. There's no breeze blowing through. It was almost cooler outside of the tent than it was inside of the tent. But inside of the tent was access to, um, you know, shanks and bomb burgers and, you know, a host of, I think there's some Michter's tin in there at one point in time. There were a ton of um, unique pours that were occurring in there, so you wanted to be in there. And that's also where some of the food was and water and a whole a whole host of other um super interesting things but um all that to say you know I was questioning between 21 and 22 whether I'd return and 22 I decided you know my return is going to look at an awful lot like I'm going to hit the VIP experience and see is that worth it and um realistically every single place where I was looking for improvement uh, from the event they hit on they 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 sort of knocked it out of the park um and you know that's what you hope for from a from a professional event planning scenario is that they're going to continue to get better year over year um and that's the thing i'll be interested to see what happens for the 23 event how do they improve upon this what are the ways that they can make things better you know i have a few nitpicky small things that could make um the event slightly better but realistically, for what they're going after, uh, for this, the amount of people that are there, um, real limited in the things that I think that they need to do better. Um, it was, you know, I, I, I'm almost fan fanboying over the whole thing. I thought it was a really, really great event. I walked away from it feeling like I had gotten my money's worth. I had had a very fun experience. 
um, even at the increased uh, rate that was available. Um, I had access to enough things to kind of offset that. Some of the cocktails were fantastic. You know, I ended up having to take pictures of, of labels of what the cocktails were because we're trying to figure out how to recreate them here in our home. And maybe that's a place for distilleries to offer up, you know, this is the, the cocktail recipe card for this. When you take it home and you go to try to make it, you know, use our whiskey, but make it this way, you know, because that was, that was a big takeaway for us. And then, you know, the educational opportunities we did, I did a couple of the educational opportunities last year. I did a handful of them this year because I lucked out and had a couple of friends that were able to bring me along with them. Um, folks that actually kind of make a difference in the whiskey podcasting world, um, got to see some, you know, really fun stuff with the, the, the folks from rabbit hole and some Jim beam stuff. And, um, you know, they, they continue to be fantastic. There was a, a, a food and whiskey pairing event and, you know, like those little additional perks that, you know, if you're trying to do, if you're going to do the event one time, you know, you're, you're never going to go back. You want to pull out all the stops. You want to attend as many of those, uh, one-off specialty ticketed events that you can. You want to buy the VIP. If you're going to go every single year, maybe you do the VIP. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do the extras. Maybe you don't. But you know they were they were super super fun events. Um, they're really kind of uh, knocking it out of the park. The craft area was significantly bigger. And what I really really enjoyed about the event, I think, was being able to see the growth of brands from 21 to 22, you know, folks like RD one and Penelope and chicken cock and peerless kind of the experience that they had in 21 versus the, the lines that they were having in 22 people were standing in line. People were, you know, they're, they're building legitimate fan bases that are wanting to stand and talk to people about what they're doing over time. You know, people that are willing to, to wait in line to try something that they've likely already had, but they want to just have a conversation with some of the brand reps or um, a distiller or whatever else. You know, you get to see some, some interesting people floating around in the event. Really did miss out on not being able to see Colonel Sanders again this year. I kind of wished he had been there, but I did not get an opportunity to see him floating around. Um, but all in all, like I said, um, I know that there's some folks that maybe don't necessarily agree with the new format of the event, but I personally um, thoroughly enjoyed the way it was set up this year. Uh, I, I think that they improved in all the places that I felt like they needed to improve. Um, there's obviously going to be some new and interesting developments for next year. Um, one of the things, you know, my intent is to go back um, and, and see about some of the off-premise events, you know, see about the things that maybe Barstown Bourbon Company is doing or, uh, maybe something that you know, we'll see if will it pops in or um, anybody else, you know, is anybody else doing something that's kind of off premise after hours? Um, see about those events. Cause those are, those were interesting. You know, I saw some of the stuff that was going on. I wish I had been participated in some of those things, but um, you know, it's, it's a short weekend and you can't do everything all at once. Um, but you can make some really interesting uh, friends, you know, you, you, you meet people at the beginning of the event, you sort of hang out with them, you experience the event, you, you know, you, you drink whiskey together and you have fun conversations. So, you know, that's that's where we're at. You know, that, that was Kentucky Bourbon Festival 2022 for me. Um, can't say it again. I can't say it enough times, but it is an absolute attend uh, for anybody who is moderately interested in whiskey. Um, if it's a passing, you know, thing for you, maybe 
Um, this isn't the particular type of event for you. Maybe, you know, maybe it is. I don't know. You got disposable income, go. It's not going to hurt anything for you. So that's all I've got for tonight. Uh, I will have uh, what I hope is a live stream on Friday talking to Bourbon on the Banks about their event. Uh, my hope next year in the year of 23 is hopefully the year of festivals. I want to try to attend as many of them as I possibly can so we can kind of get an experience of what is the the – what is the experience like? How are they differentiated? You know, it, it, what is the you? What is the the persona type for each event? Because each one of these is crafted for a different type of community event. And so I want to know what these are about. You know, whether it's whiskey fest in Chicago or Bourbon on the Banks or Bourbon and Beyond or Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and you know, we're, we're in a vein here. Um, you know, Nashville Whiskey Festival or St. Louis Whiskey Festival. Like, what are these like? Who who are the attendees and and who should be attending these things? Um, you know, are you trying to learn more about it? And so that's all I've got for tonight. Uh, this will be a short one, uh, first short one we've had in a while. So thanks for tuning in for this particular offering from the embellished podcast. Um, if you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you've, you've been consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible, hit me up on social media, Twitter or Instagram using embellish pod give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Um, I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.